Hello, everyone. This is Ricky. Hi, it's Charmaine. Did you know that June is Pride Month? And for Pride Month, every single episode we're bringing you is very special. Yes, we are so excited for the month of June because all of our episodes this month will feature academics, artists, and activists from the LGBTQIA plus community. So be sure to stay tuned for this month to um, listen to very important conversations from these outstanding individuals. Um, so stay tuned. We hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. This is Charmaine. Welcome to part two of our conversation with Sarah Abu Al Jazar. Yes. Hello, everyone. This is Ricky. And as Charmaine said, this is part two of a conversation that we had with Sarah. If you want to listen to part one, we released that um, last week, but this is part two. Um, feel free to listen and share with anyone um, that you know is interested in listening to this series. Um, it's our Pride Month series. So yeah, be sure to listen and leave your thoughts and comments on our Instagram post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like we could have a whole a whole conversation about <laughs> just allyship and, and, and what that entails and, and the, not the steps, but I think I, I, I kind of want to think about it as like the, um, like reframing, like our mind, I don't even know, language, Charmaine. And I, Sarah, I feel like language is, <laughs> language is failing me today. Um, but yeah, I feel like that, that that's a whole conversation within itself. And, and I'm just thinking about, um, and I know we discussed this like in class too, Sarah, about like part, also part of, um, part of allyship is recognizing your privilege too. And I'm thinking about how recognizing your, your privilege as a person who benefits from like, Oh, this is gonna this is gonna sound I'm trying to make it not sound so bad. Maybe if I use my personal, it will it will make it not so confusing. For example, when I took trans feminist rhetoric course, right? And this has been going on throughout um my studies with our department overall, I'm beginning to recognize everyday privileges that I have in life and also recognizing how everyday language really is so impactful throughout life. Like for example, something is, that should be as simple as going to the bathroom, right? Me being a cisgender, cisgender like person um, and also cisgender heteronormative person, going to the bathroom that like is something that is like, like instinctual because it's it's there for me right whereas someone who identifies who isn't cisgender right and and doesn't fall within the you know binaries of your you know your physical uh, like appearance um 
matching up with your identity. For example, if someone wants to be trans feminine or trans masculine, right? Navigating like the bathroom space, they don't have the privileges that I have or even being in a corporate setting, right? I remember we had this conversation in class where um, it was brought up about pronouns and how pronouns are so important, right? And if you are in a setting, um, pronouns are essential to making people feel more inclusive. And there was this conversation brought up where sometimes in workplaces, people are like, well, we don't need that because everyone here um, physically, but like we can physically tell their pronouns by looking at them. And I'm like, well, that should be like a red flag, right? About like not having like an inclusive space, right? Or not having inclusive representation of um, LGBTQIA plus marginalized communities within your space. And I think that, you know, privilege is, is something that is not comfortable to sit with at times, but I think it's a necessity in order for um, that, you know, performative allyship to navigate or have that journey from non from performative to non-performative, right? To where you're actually um, seeing the way these structures are very limit limiting in society. I mean, I even think about a conversation um, that I saw throughout the, I think it was throughout the summer where it was like the term master bedroom used when you're buying a house uh-huh. or used when you're like house touring. And recently I was watching um, a house show because I'm weird and I watch house shows and they use primary bedroom instead of master. But then like during the tour, they use like his and her suites or his and her bathrooms, you know, or his and her closets. There was these very like binary language that was used. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm noticing this. That, that's mm-hmm. not inclusive language to be used, you know, um, to be inclusive of everyone. You know, not everyone has a his and hers sink or bathroom or whatever terminology. And so I think when you begin to recognize your privilege, you kind of begin to see the these structural things going on into society and I feel like it starts to click for lack of a better word um and kind of have this domino effect of clickness where you're like okay I see this oh I see that oh I, I understand um yeah 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 I think that's um yeah I think you're totally right and it's it's that's kind of what I was thinking too when I brought up like non-LGBTQIA plus people from outside of those communities, um, and I'm using that term very broadly, um, taking responsibility is like, responsibility is acknowledging your own privileges and we all have inherent privileges and it is an uncomfortable space to be in oftentimes, but it's necessary. And, you know, I, I, and I appreciate, I really do appreciate studying it from a theoretical perspective and taking courses that have like opened up my eyes. I wasn't in this class, sadly, with um, either of y'all, but I took a transgressive identities class that was in my first semester in the uh, multicultural women's and gender studies graduate program. And that class also, like we discussed a lot of these issues. And I'm, I'm really glad I took that my first semester because I feel like it helps me really develop a grounding and kind of a framework for a lot of these conversations. And yeah, like, I think that I know privilege is like a very divisive term and people tend to kind of get thrown off or like turned off by it. But I think that it's a really important, I think it's really important. I think that we have to sit here and 
part of creating a more um, or recreating a more inclusive space and like kind of like dismantling um, these colonialist influenced hegemonic spaces is, is part of that. It's taking that responsibility and um, kind of working through our own egos. I don't want this to be like a psych conversation, not necessarily trying to go into that, but it's like um, working through our own hesitations, our own egos, our own, you know, kind of like self-identified things that we kind of stick to and realizing that privilege exists and we are able, like how we are able to actually engage in solidarity. And that idea of privilege, it's, it exists in so many places, um, you know, and it can, um, it can definitely be difficult uh, to even kind of uh, recognize um, by even when it with your best intentions. Um, for example, I, I think just the idea of bathrooms itself. I mean, that's I, I, that's I feel it's so perfectly one of those ideas that where the more you think about it, the more the illusion of this idea of being divided by gender kind of starts to fall apart and the bathroom is where a a lot of us kind of really naturally learn this idea of the gender binary and this idea of gender separation and body sexualization and so on and so forth I mean it, it, it really I mean it's it's in every building we enter you know it's it's very ingrained um in our lives and it it's so enforcive of, of that uh, gender binary. And it's, it's something that I really had to come to face with when I started to be much more accepting of my gender identity and um, days where I would be much more performative uh, with my femininity. I, w- I would feel very conflicted about going to these um, men's bathrooms uh and i would think of myself like no you're 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 crazy i mean look at you you're presenting masculine you know you shouldn't be uncomfortable around bodies that look just like you but i i just felt this general unease uh that because i look at myself now as a woman and i just felt in this place that for some reason violated this rule that I've been taught my whole life that I have to go into the bathroom that matches my gender identity, you know? And it's, 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 so I had to come face to face with this new lack of privilege that I had um, when it came to using these things that are part of every person's everyday life, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm thinking about your presentation. Um, even, um, y- even the discussion of like med- this is a whole different conversation too about the medical field, um, or the medical industry in general, and how mm-hmm. navigating that space too. Like, if 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 you don't sit with your privilege, you really don't recognize, you know, how 
um, for some navigating that space can be easier, right? I'm definitely not saying it's completely easier because I recognize that um, the medical field marginalizes, you know, people of color, women, and and marginalized communities in general. But heteronormativity is definitely um, like sound on max. For, that's the only <laughs> description I could think of in that space too, because, and we were talking about this in our initial meeting, you see the division, right? Like if you are um, like a female, they are, uh, you automatically go to like no OBGYN, you have a, a woman's wellness exam, right? And if, if you're male, like you go to I don't even know the doctor you go to. This is so embarrassing, but you go to another doctor and you have like your prostate check and, and, and at the woman exam, you have, you know, a breast exam. But for people that are in these in-between spaces, right? For non-binary people and the transgender community and everyone that kind of falls in between that don't meet these heteronormative um, binary identities, you could, you could like, your your health could be at risk right because mm -hmm. even insurance they're not going to pay like even recently with my insurance I got frustrated because I was like are you serious they only want to pay for one exam right um but not just insurance like you would have to travel to like and find availability for all these different doctors you know just to get just to have yourself checked you know just to feel just for your own well-being you know physical even uh, sometimes to the line mental well-being you have to go through all of these kind of like barriers and jump through all these hoops just to to have access to something that should be granted to everyone equitably access to health care right um yeah and just from your presentation my mind was just opened I was like oh my gosh I didn't even think about that before and the fact that I didn't think about that before is because I have certain privileges in society, right? Um, and so, um, yeah, and, and I'm just, now I'm going on a whole like spiral of different structures of society that is just so limiting and it can be just so frustrating when you start to think about it of why is it so limiting? Like why, why not have an all-inclusive space for people to go to, to get, you know, checked up and to make sure that they're doing well. Um, yeah, wow. And um, I, 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 I definitely agree with you with how, how um, easy it is to kind of fall into this idea that uh, within healthcare that the gender binary works just fine, you know, like it, it makes sense. There's not much to question. I mean, it's healthcare. It all seems as professional and inclusive as possible. You know, um, that's this kind of idea or image that we're given. Um, so it's really easy to fall into this idea that healthcare is equal and inclusive for all people. But of course, like you said, it's, it's incredibly, it's an incredibly unlevel um, fields for all marginalized people. And it's like that in many different ways. And I, I think something very interesting when we talk about gender and the 
space of healthcare is how many is how many people fall in, like you said, that in-between space because it's very, I mean, there are just further from trans people and non-binary people. There are, um, of course, intersex people. And then there's um, cisgender men and women who um, for different reasons um, have these situations that require treatment that's specific to their hormones or uh, to their gender identity or to towards healthcare procedures that are associated with the gender binary. For example, um, I mean, I can tell you from personal experience, once you bring hormones into the healthcare space as a patient, it becomes so quickly disorganized and it becomes extremely hard to manage. Um, all of a sudden you're seeing so many different doctors instead of uh, one or a few of a comprehensive team because it really is the fact that these healthcare systems are organized by gender. It's it's difficult to access um, a it's it's more difficult to access a breast exam when you're a man, you know. Or mm -hmm. let's say you're uh, yeah, if you're a cisgender man who happens to have high estrogen you're at an increased risk for that and um, there are many examples um, or you know it, men, men can get uh, breast cancer and those same men would have benefited and there's also women with uh, PCOS also who have increased testosterone and that can cause weight gain which has other effects and you need to treat uh, when it comes to PC, PCOS, as far as I know you, um, treating the high testosterone is a big part um, in reducing those symptoms. And so you can have a cisgender woman with PCOS who is having to deal with this mess of hormones and the gender binary of healthcare. And so it really is. Um, a, a large, a much larger amount of people than we traditionally think when we talk about this gender binary within healthcare. Yeah, I think that's so important because it's, yeah, it's it's like just another example of how damaging these kind of hegemonic and heteronormative structures are um, to like the greater population. Um, also, like I want to add it, I think that it's important to not only include more people in order for more issues to be addressed. Like, I think that it is important, even if something affects a small community that we dismantle these structures and um, systems of oppression in order to be as inclusive and equitable as possible. Um, but yeah, you bring in a really important perspective. Like there's a lot of people that are impacted by this and um, it just, it really tells us how much um, I think like how much the, the medical industry needs to be like analyzed and and how participating it is within reproducing binaries and, and hegemonic structures. I mean, it is a byproduct of the neoliberal capitalist structure that we live in today. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, we're really seeing the kind of manifestation of that um, in a lot of the concerns that you were talking about, Sarah. Yeah, I, I, and I totally agree with your point. Um, 
I think another major argument uh, for uh, these uh, people who may not recognize or may not acknowledge or believe that there is this large community is that it's it's healthcare. If anything, I mean, all things should be, and we should all work for all things to be inclusive for even the smallest communities. But if anything, healthcare should be a universally inclusive right mm-hmm. to every community, no matter how small. So I, I think that's a really important point that you make there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I keep saying yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my thought language. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think I'm like trying to find the right words. I, I think. I think because a lot of times people, you know, we recognize there's a lot of information. This this can be a lot. And a lot of people often wonder, where do I start, right? Where, where do I start? Where do I begin? Um, especially on the road to um, non-performative allyship. And I think, I think it starts with recognition, not recognition. I guess recognizing, I guess recognition is the right word in, in the fact that, you know, recognizing your privilege, recognizing the binaries within the language that we use on a day-to-day basis, and even working with in yourself to have more inclusive language. You know, for example, if if you're in the real estate, um, and this is the, the example I can think of, if you're in the real estate field, if you're, you know, posting houses or posting places um, and doing tours and stuff, recognizing the language of master bedroom or his and her suite or, you know, recognizing the binaries of that language. And that can go for many different fields. If you're in counseling, if you're in the medical fields, and I, I think it takes each individual doing our part on an individual level to, um, to um, participate or, or add to the collective, if that makes sense. Like, I think if we individually sit with our own privileges and sit with the realiza- reala- realization that these binaries come from um, neoliberal capitalist society, which is a direct, like, direct line from colonization imperialism, then we can begin to kind of destruct these binary constructs, right? I think the dismantling and de- deconstruction, deconstruction, deconstruction starts from within. Um, I think within is such a powerful place to start in, in recognizing the need to dismantle these structures. Um, yeah. That, that that's what that's what I think and that's my advice to anyone listening gray matters community anyone listening um especially if you are seeking um to um go like seeking a journey a non-performative journey in your allyship really think about the language we use really think about the structures of society and how because of your identity and because of the way you present yourself, you have certain privileges that others Mm -hmm. don't have. Yeah. And I think that's, um, yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Ricky, because I think it also connects to 
uh, we touched on this a little bit in this episode, but like the importance of pronouns and like how Mm -hmm. that works to dismantle inclusive and binary language, but how just introducing your pronouns um, is kind of, I would say like an act of uh, allyship and solidarity, but it's, it's really important in order to recognize our own language and how it can, how it can contribute towards reproducing a lot of these hegemonic structures that we are aiming to dismantle. Um, so, yeah, I think, I, I know that's something that I'm always working on too. Like I'm trying to be better about like introducing myself with my pronouns. Um, I try to add it more like in written spaces. If I'm introducing myself in written spaces, sometimes it's um, honestly like a little easier for me. I, I sometimes tend to forget to do it and my normal conversation. Um, but I think that I've been trying to work on that. And I think that that's something that we can do too, is like, um, introduce ourselves with our pronouns and, you know, be more mindful of how we're addressing others and using their, um, preferred pronouns as well. And I, I I think that works perfectly back into Ricky's advice that it starts with him, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, look within and r- recognize that I have this privilege that your pronouns so naturally match with how you present that other people can uh, just assume it, you know? And if you look at that from within, you know, uh, as per Ricky's advice, um, it, it becomes much easier to see what you were talking about, Charmaine, about how important it is to introduce yourself uh, with your pronouns and recognize that this this um, language system of pronouns is one that affects a lot of people in much different ways. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us in this conversation. I think that uh, we, we just really enjoyed and loved this conversation and we know that our Gray Matters community will as well. And, and I just feel like we could talk about this forever, but we so appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and sharing your perspective and being so generous with, like, you know, I said this in the beginning and I do want to reiterate it. Like it's absolutely not the responsibility um, or the onus of like people within transgender communities or LGBTQIA people or indigenous or BIPOC people to, uh, or, you know, or queer folk like to, to, like explain their identities or take responsibility for having these conversations. Um, but we, we thank you so much for sharing your research and sharing your perspective and joining us in this conversation. Thank you so much. I I really appreciate that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and we of course will have resources, um, for some really great um, reads on our website. Um, you can find those on Gray Matters, um, the blog, um, dot com. And yeah, we, yes, thank you again, um, Sarah. This was so, this was so great. This was, so, I feel like we can have like 10 other conversations. Yeah. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to, um, to having another episode for the Gray Matters um, community. As we said before, this is going to be um, a two-part episode. So be sure to listen to um, both parts and we will talk to everyone um, soon. Stay safe. Bye. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for listening. We appreciate your support. You can continue to show your support by giving the podcast five stars and by following us on our website, graymatterstheblog.com. That's gray with an A and on Instagram, as well as sharing and commenting on our posts on at graymatterstheblog. We want to connect with our Gray Matters community. That's you, our listeners. So if you have a comment or inquiry about customizable trainings and workshops, email us at graymatterstheblog at gmail.com. Stay safe, everyone, and we will chat with you next week.